0: All right, if you have your Bibles and you want to open those with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, also you've got your message notes and your worship guide, and uh, you've got your, your notebooks ready to go. We are going to really have another good time with this, just like last week. And that is that if uh, no one else has told you yet, once again, I want to be the very first to tell you Merry Christmas. <laughs> because and I was going to wear something festive, but I just about burned to death last week in my very festive, very hot shirt. So I'm not doing that this week. But this is what once again, it made me feel so Christmassy and it may uh, you as well because this is a text that we actually talk a lot about. We may be bringing it back out in December to talk about when it comes to the story of the birth of Jesus and what happened in the aftermath. And so it's going to be A lot of fun as we jump into this, but to kind of catch you up if this is your first time with us, we're walking through the book of Matthew and we're starting off with the origin story, the the beginning of how everything happened. And, And in week one, we talked about this idea from verse one through 17 that because of Jesus, we can be part of God's family. And what we did was is we said the most radical thing that the gospel writer Matthew could have done is he started off with saying that Jesus is the king that we've been waiting for. He is the promise and the fulfillment of all the promises that God has made. And then he says, let me prove it to you. And he shares all the way back to the lineage saying that he is the rightful king to the throne and he is the rightful king of all of creation. And it would have been just, just absolutely, as we could say, you know, kind of blew everybody's hair back to say, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there, and I can prove it to you. And what we learned through that is that because of Jesus, we also can be part of God's family. Last week, we talked about the second half and about the story of Joseph in the life of the birth of Jesus. And what we learned is that because of Jesus, we also can be part of God's story. Like Joseph was a nobody from nowhere and it was amazing how God chose him to be part of something amazing. And it was, it was great to, to look through that and see how God can use us to do great things in our own life and that God you know, just asks us for, to be faithful with what he has put in our hands. And now as we jump from that, we can be part of his family and part of his story. We're going to get into you know, this, this wonderful idea of what, what happens after the birth of Jesus and this great announcement that happens. And we can really see how different people respond differently to the announcement of the good news. And I was, I was thinking about that this week. It got me thinking about how you can tell somebody something and depending on who they are and what stage of life they're in, they can give you a very different response, Like even in the same household, you can make an announcement and you can get a very different response based on where they are in life. Like for instance, in my house, if you were to say after church today, we're all going out to eat, you would have three different responses in our house. My girls are like, great, let's do it. We'll go out to eat. I don't care. My my wife is like, ah, it depends on where it is. And I'm immediately disappointed. And the reason why is because it takes us longer to figure out where we're going to eat than to actually go eat. And so I don't even want to be part of that. You know, maybe in depending on the stage of life you're in or wherever it is, you know, if somebody says something like, you know, if someone walks up to someone and says, I love you, for some people they are like, well, well, praise the Lord, I love you too. Other people, it's like, why? What's your angle? Other people, it's like, well, I'm sorry, I don't love you. <laughs> you know, it just, it depends, right? How about, how about this one? If someone says, I bought a cat. Like, well, I'm so sorry. What happened? Did you you lose a bet? Is that what it was? Other people are excited. I see that. Let's see the celebration back there. Yes, I'm praying for you, right? It all depends. It all depends on what it is. And one of them I was thinking of that really in my house specifically, if you want to just completely divide our home at one point in our life, it was over this idea that if we were checking the polar report, around you know around the winter t- wintertime season and all of a sudden it looked like they were going to cancel school there was a season in our home when you would have one of three responses in our house. And this may be different for you, but in our house, and I'll let you, you kind of guess real quick which one of the three they were. You have you had myself, you have my wife, and you have my kids, and you could definitely see the difference in the three, okay? Can I go ahead and tell you, honestly, when the Polar Report would say that school was canceled when my kids were little, that was me, Okay? Now, I know that looks terrible, but the reason why, and you know this, is when your kids are real little, like you got to figure out childcare. you got to figure out what you're going to do at work, you got all these different things that are going on, and you're just just not happy. Like, I reject you, Polar Report. <laughs> I'm, I'm sending my kids anyway. They'll be fine. It's fine. All right, I don't want to mess up my schedule. But that, honestly, that's what a lot of parents are like, oh my goodness. Well, then my wife was a teacher for like 10 years, and so for her, it was like, eh, I mean, it, I mean, it was one of those things where she was happy to not have school. But at the same time, she understood that that that's gonna create some more work for her. But then there's also like, like, we're gonna miss school when the weather's nasty outside, but then I'll have to go later when it's sunny outside. So it was like this conflicting, like, ah, you know, whatever. But never, ever, ever were my girls not so excited, right? Like, this is the day I've been waiting for my whole life. It's been going up to this moment, right? And they were just so excited, and then they find out that they're just stuck inside all day long, you know? But they were always so very excited. And I don't know how that works out in your life, but like there, there's a story we're going to read today, and depending on who you are in the story, you may have a very different response. It may be this rejection, it may be this indifference, or it may be excitement. It depends on, really, where you are in your life. And I want you to kind of see this as we walk through this story and see maybe where you would be, how you would respond to the good news that the king has come and then if you respond with the, the worship, what do we do with that? What do we bring to a king who has everything? So let's read the story, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. The Bible said that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? For his star, uh, we, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, King Herod was disturbed when he heard this, as everyone was in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, "'Where is the Messiah supposed to be born?' "'In Bethlehem in Judea,' they said. "'For this is what the prophet wrote. "'And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. "'For a ruler will come from you who will be a shepherd for my people Israel.'" Then Herod called a private meeting from the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy, and they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they offered him their treasure chests, uh, opened their treasure chests and gave him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, as we've been saying in weeks past, in week one we said because of Jesus we can be part of God's family. In week two we said that we can be part of God's story. And if I were to have one big idea for this whole message that if you were to take away just one thing, that would be because of God's goodness we can bring something to worship the king. Because of God's goodness, because of the opportunity we have to respond to the good news of the gospel, we can bring something to worship the king. So let's talk about what that looks like. What, how do we respond to God's goodness? And then what is it that we can bring to worship the king? Now, let me kind of break down this story to kind of catch you up with what's going on. And then we'll, we'll go from there. The first thing is just to realize that between Matthew chapter one and Matthew chapter two, there's a time jump of several months, possibly up to one year between the birth of Jesus and what's happening now. If you wanna kind of get some idea on where we get that from, you can look at my blog. I'm doing a, like an ongoing commentary of this. And I can go into how we know there was a a little bit of a gap there between the two. But what we have is we end off with Jesus being born. And then it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. Now, what you need to know about King Herod is he was a puppet ruler put in place by the Roman government because of his connection with uh, the the government structures in the city of Rome. He wasn't actually the rightful ruler. He was actually half Jewish, half not, but he was put there because of his connections. And he was a brutal tyrant. He was, so, he was so brutal that, and he was very paranoid of losing his power that he was constantly having both sons and some of his wives put to death because he suspected them of treachery and suspected them trying to overthrow his throne. And he was so brutal that some of it was actually true. He was also a master builder and built a bunch of stuff expanded the temple that in jerusalem and it wasn't because he uh, wanted to expand judaism but it was because he wanted to make a name for himself so badly and so he would build all this stuff so it would be known that herod the had actually built these things and he was so just just treacherous that right before he died he knew he was going to die he arrested a bunch of noblemen and had them imprisoned in the city and he told his advisors When I die, put all them to death as well. Because that way, if all those people die, they will always remember that it was Herod who put them to death. That's how desperately this guy wanted to be remembered. So he didn't care if it was fame or infamy, he wanted to be remembered. And it was during this tyrant's reign that Jesus was born, the true king, the rightful heir to the throne was born. And so he's there and he's doing his thing. And the Bible said that these wise men came from the east. Now, who are the wise men? But this is not in your notes, but the wise men, that's where we get the song, you know, we three kings of Orient are, right? That, that, that's where that song comes from. We're gonna completely destroy that song in just a second. But it is a really cool song. They were actually in different translations called the magi and what were they? But they were actually known as Kingmakers. They were advisors to the king. They were star watchers, and they were be considered the intellectuals, the scientists of their day, and they were actually led by Daniel. If you go to the Old Testament and you look at the book of Daniel, the Bible said that after Daniel interpreted these dreams, uh, he was put over the magi, the, the, the stargazers, the, these, these intellectuals, and it was actually Daniel who had prophesied that Jesus was going to come 500 years earlier, and so as a noted leader, they would have studied the book of Daniel, and when they saw something that looked like the prophecies of Daniel being fulfilled. That's why they were looking for something to happen and the king of the Jews to be born. That's why they came. And so the Bible said that they came and what they would have done is they would have come through what's called the Silk Road. And it's it's still actually uh, active today and people will still make this journey just because of what it was. And it would have been a 900 mile journey on camels. Praise the Lord for cars, amen, right? Like nowadays, like 900 miles is like between here and Miami, to give you a little bit of idea. Imagine doing that on foot and on camel, okay? (laughs) Now it would take us about 14 hours in a car, but then it took about 50 days to get there. So they travel and they go to to the, uh, the capital of Jerusalem and they say, where's the king? Maybe they imagined the king would be in the city capital because or the, the country capital because that's where kings are, is in, is in the capital. They said, so, well, why, why do you think there's a king here? Well, we saw a star. Well, what, where does this star come from? Well, there's, there's three uh, good things where the star might have come from. Now, my, my personal one right here is that I think absolutely it could be a supernatural phenomenon. I mean, that's what God does is he does miracles outside of time. But just in case that you don't really go for that thing, also... Uh, John Kepler said that around that time, that there was an alignment of stars, that there would have been a Jupiter, Mars and Saturn would have have come together and would have created this big star. But what I really love is that Chinese astronomers say that about that time, they recorded a star, uh, a comet that went through the sky and it would last in the sky or it lasted for 70 days. That's about perfect timing the way I look at it. If it took them 50 days to get to Jerusalem, it gives you 20 days, 10 on either side to tell their king to get on the road and then 10 days to talk to Herod. So about the perfect amount of time they would have needed a star to be going through, pointing their way was about how long that that these Chinese astronomers said there was a star in the sky. It's amazing how the more we search, the more we find. And so now they show up and they say we've been we've been tracking this comet it's been going through the sky and now we're here to see the king Which, by the way, this is kind of the idea that we have as like three nomads sneaking off in the middle of the night to come see the king. Reality is, it probably looked more like Aladdin, you know, when he's coming in, you know, and all this stuff, because it would have been this this massive delegation from Babylon all the way to Jerusalem to see the new king of the Jews, the the one that Daniel had prophesied over 500 years before. He is now here, and Daniel prophesied that he wasn't just going to be the king of the Jews, but the king of all things. And so now they show up. Up, and they're here and they say, where's the baby? Where's the king? And now there's these three responses that happen to these, this group of wise men. We don't actually don't know how many there were. We, 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 in, the, in the past, we've assumed three because there were three gifts, but we really don't know. There's this huge delegation that shows up to see the king and, and when they find out that the, the good news, the king has come, there's three responses. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Herod has that first response and that is just flat out rejection. What do you mean, king? I don't have, I am the king. No, no, you're not him. You're, you're, you're not the king. I'm looking for the king. Do you know where the king of the Jews is? Immediately. And you can, you can imagine that, uh, that a king finding out a new king is coming is not too happy about that. Because that is, and I told you before that Herod was already super paranoid about his rule being in question. And so anything that would question his rulership, he's not interested anymore. And he goes from rejection to then deception because then he tries to take and, and twist the minds of the wise men and say, hey, won't you tell me when you find him so I can come worship him, knowing as we're gonna read later, he had no intention of worship. He was gonna try to destroy the king. And you know, many times in our world today, when we, when we talk about the gospel and when we say the good news of the gospel is the king is here and you have an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and savior, there are those who outright reject him and it makes sense because if you're the king of your life if you're in charge of everything you are threatened by anything that will challenge your rulership because Jesus doesn't say come let me be part of your life Jesus says come and bow your knee to me and let me be the lord of your life and so so many times we struggle to figure out why people reject the gospel and there's many different reasons but one reason is because Jesus will always fight against your right to rule yourself because he wants to be in charge, and he is the true king of, of everything. The second thing that happened is the scribes. I mean, imagine this. The Bible said that Herod was immediately upset about this, and so he turned to the scribes and the religious leaders, and he was like, y'all hear anything about a king coming? And they're like, I mean, yeah, he's going to be over and so and so. And so their response was indifference. There's was like, eh, I mean, I got your information. It doesn't really affect my life. Then really, they were five miles away from Bethlehem. Jerusalem, where they were meeting, where this huge delegation of wise men come, and they say, we have been studying this for over 500 years. We followed this, this comet, and we, we got here. We've heard the king is here. Man, we want to meet the king. And all they go is like, yeah, you know, they, it, it says that he's going to be born right about this time. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. So, uh, five miles. If you have been waiting for the king all of your life, you don't want to go 5 miles just to see just to see if maybe the king has come but because it was a head knowledge but not a heart knowledge they they weren't moved in any kind of way it doesn't affect me doesn't affect my life i'm fine right here how many times is it that that we have some people who don't reject the the gospel they just don't care They've been so oversensitized to to the story of the goodness of God and the story of who God is that when we talk about serving Jesus and bowing at his feet and letting him be the Lord of our life, they just go, ah, doesn't really affect me anymore. And I wonder if it's because just like the scribes have gotten so used to knowing about the goodness of God that we're no longer amazed by it anymore. Now we just expect that God is going to do things. And unless it affects me directly, I'm fine. And so we have to be so careful not to do that because the third one, the first one was that Herod was rejection, scribes were indifference, but then of course we had the wise men who were worship. When they hear that the king has come, I'll travel 900 miles just to get a glimpse. I'll travel from here to there. I'll do whatever's necessary. I've got to meet this king. And then when I meet him, I want to bow down at his feet. And it's so sad to me that they went to Jerusalem where the king was supposed to be only to find out he wasn't there. May it never be said at Real Life Church that people who come seeking the king will show up where they should find him and find out he's not here. But rather that they will find that not only do we know the king, but we're worshiping him already. Come and join us as we worship our king. And so the question is, is that when we hear the gospel, what are we gonna do? Are Are we gonna reject him? Are we just not gonna care? Are we gonna fall at his feet? And are we gonna worship him? That's exactly what the wise men decided to do. But here's the thing. When they got there, the Bible said they they went to Bethlehem and they they found Jesus and they bowed at his feet. The big question for me is then, what do you give a king who has everything? What What do you give the king of the world? I mean, because of the goodness of God, I have the opportunity. I have something that I can bring God to worship. But here's the question what? What do you bring a king who has everything? Well, what we have is we have three things that the wise men brought to Jesus. And I think they're wonderful symbols of what we can bring Jesus today when we come to worship. And in just a moment, the band is going to give us an opportunity to worship uh, one more song. And I was going to ask you the question, don't don't be the person that rejects the goodness of God. Don't be the one who's indifferent, but decide that you're going to worship him. But here's the question, what are you going to bring the king who has everything? Well, let me give you three things that they did. And maybe one of these is what you need to bring to king today when you worship him. Here's the first thing. The Bible said that when they got there, they opened up their treasures. They opened up what was most important, what maybe they had brought all the way from their journey of Babylon now to Bethlehem. And the first thing they opened was gold. And what we can learn from this is how do the wise worship? With gold. And that we worship his kingship by our allegiance. We worship his kingship by our allegiance. This is very, very important to realize that Jesus doesn't ask just to be your savior, but also our Lord, which means he is in charge. Now, we get this because gold, in in those ancient times, gold represented royalty. As a matter of fact, there was an ancient Near Eastern custom that said, when you came to see any, any dignitary or any royalty, it was considered rude not to bring a gift. And the primary gift that you would bring was gold. Many times you would bring gold plus something else, but gold was always the first thing because it was a symbol of that person's royalty, of their strength, and of their right to rule. Even nowadays, like the the strength of the U.S. economy is supposed to be based on the gold standard and and the the dollar is based on gold because it is a symbol of wealth, it's a symbol of stability, it is a symbol of strength. And so when you would go to see a king, you would give him gold as a way to say, I am ratifying or I'm understanding that you're in charge. That, that you have royalty and that you are the one who calls the shots around here. And isn't it amazing that the first thing they bring this, this baby king, before he's ever done anything, say, I already ratify your right to rule. That's what Jesus still asks us for today. The Bible says this, it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, if you're taking analog notes, circle that word Lord, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What Jesus asks of us is that we openly declare that he is Lord. What do you, what do you bring a king who has everything? I bring to him my allegiance it reminds me of there was a friend of mine uh, named Jeremy Johnson who used to live uh, in Alabama and he worked for the Coca-Cola company and he was um, he was over all the different drivers I mean he was like brand loyal like he wore Coca-Cola hat Coca-Cola shirt and they went to go see the Coca-Cola museum every year I mean they just he was he was loyal to Coca-Cola and we loved to harass him. <laughs> we would Every chance we got, we would sneak a Pepsi into his car. We would, we would drop off, you know, like a, like a six-pack uh, can of, of Mountain Dews on his front porch. We would constantly do that. And every time we would go to a restaurant, we'd let him order whatever he wanted. And before the end of the meal, we would sneak a Pepsi over there to him. And he's always like, that's disgusting. You know, it's whatever. And he'd go back to his coat. And he always took it good-naturedly, but we would just, man, we would be ruthless, man, just teasing him. And I remember one day I asked him, I was like, look, man, why do, you, why do you care? It's just a job. I mean, it's just, it's just a job. It's fine. And he looked at me, and he actually started to kind of tear up a little bit. And he's like, I get it. It's not a big deal to you. But he said, when I got out of high school, I made a lot of mistakes, and, and, I, and I had to hurry up and get a job to start taking care of my family. And, and man, I couldn't find a job anywhere. But, but the people at, at this particular uh, location, they gave me an opportunity. And they worked with me and they were patient with me and they, they they gave me a chance to support my family and I worked my way up and now I, I'm able to help support other people's families and, and he's like, I always be grateful that they gave me a chance. So I'll always be loyal because when I didn't have a job, they gave me a job. I was like, well. Now I feel bad about making fun of you, you know. Now, so now I only sometimes gave him a Pepsi, you know, that kind of thing. But it was it was amazing that this guy was like when, when I realized how good this company was to me. My only reasonable response was to be loyal back to them. How much more, when we realize the goodness of God and who he is, that we don't reject him, we're not indifferent, but we worship him. And we say, my only reasonable response, that the king of all kings, and when the time was right, split time into have, and have came on a rescue mission to wash away all my sin. My only response is, God, you have my life. You be in control because, man, if someone's going to love me that much, you can have everything in my life. So how do we be loyal to God? We can be loyal, first of all, by, by salvation, by declaring his lordship over our life. You know, it's one of the things that God has been doing a work in my life so much, and I know I've gotten some criticism from some of you who mean so very well, and I'm not mad at you for it, but, you know, we used to do this thing where at the end of every service, I would say, if you'd like to receive Jesus, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And I'm not against doing any of that. I received Jesus by coming up front to an altar, and someone led me in a prayer. But as God has been working in my life and in my heart, salvation never needs to be thought of as an impulse buy. But instead, it's not we don't make, have an impulse and a motion of a moment, and then we do something. But rather, it is a decision of my heart that changes my eternity. And so what I want you to do is is to realize how important salvation is. That's why now I'll tell you, and I'm going to tell you again in a minute, that in just a moment when the worship team gives us an opportunity to worship, we say on the back of your Connect card is a prayer that you can pray. We talk about what salvation is, and then we invite you to look at that prayer and slowly and prayerfully change your entire eternity. Change your entire destiny from I was going to hell, now I'm going to heaven. I'm giving my entire heart to Jesus because Jesus doesn't just want to be your Savior, but he demands to be your Lord. He's like, I'm either God of all or I'm not God at all in your life. And so if you're going to do something that important and it's the best thing, it's going to be your spiritual birthday, take a minute. Take a minute and make sure you know what you're saying so it means something in your heart. Because I feel like we got to come back to the place where we realize that that following Jesus is a lifetime commitment, not an impulse. And so I want you to think on it. And that's why I want people to say, man, today is my spiritual birthday. And so I I hope that you understand why I'm doing it. It's just a conviction of my heart for it to mean as much as possible. And if you gave your life to Jesus by repeating a prayer after somebody, me too. There's nothing not powerful about that. It's just uh, I, I want to do something a little bit different for a season where we make it something so very personal and meaningful to people who are getting saved now. And then after we do that, then we follow the Lord in baptism. That we, we declare to the world what God has done on the inside of our heart. And if, if you've never followed the Lord in baptism, if you've never went down into that water and come back up again in salvation, there's actually an opportunity coming up at the end of the month. And we do our outside, uh, we do once a year outside service and we would love to partner with you as you take that step and, and you follow the Lord in baptism and you can uh, let us know you're interested on your Connect card or in the worship guide. But the, the big idea behind this is that what do you bring a king who has everything? What, what do you do? I bring him my allegiance. I said, Jesus, you're in charge. I give you the rulership of my life. I take myself off the throne, and I put you on the throne of my life, and I'm never going to move you off that place. Instead, you're in charge. You're my Lord, and you're my Savior, and I live according to your rulership. And the great news is he is so much better at rulership than we are because he loves us more than we can imagine. Even when we don't know what we want, he knows what we need. And so sometimes it's that, well, what if God does something I don't want? That's even better. Because he knows what we truly need. And if you're in here, you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to tell you, it's the very best thing you can do because he loves you more than you can imagine. What do I bring a king who has everything? Well, because of the goodness of God, I have something I can bring. And the first thing I can bring is my allegiance and following him. The second thing that the, that the wise man brought to him, which is a way that I can know what, what do I bring, a king who has everything? Well, the, the Bible tells us that they brought frankincense. And what that means to us is that we can worship his holiness by how I live. I can worship his holiness by how I live. Now, I will be honest with you, when I was a kid, and I used to read this, I thought it said gold and Frankenstein, okay? So I don't know if that was you. If it was, then we just go ahead and get it out there. Not, I know it's almost that time of year, but not Frankenstein, all right? It was actually frankincense, all right? Now, where this came from is this actually represented God's deity and God's holiness. Because in the temple worship, Frankincense was used almost across the board in every form of worship other than uh, the sacrifices for sin. But other than that, everything that they used for daily worship involved frankincense. And so what it would remind them of is that constant act of worship, constantly going on, that everything they would do day in and day out, it was a constant. That's why it was so expensive is because it was used so very much. And it was a constant reminder of I'm going to worship his holiness, worship his deity by how I live, by my daily actions, by the daily way that I go about my business, by the daily way I do everything, that I'm going to do it as an act of worship. That this is probably actually where the Apostle Paul, where his mind was when he said this. The Bible says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him that what he was probably thinking of is this idea of this sacrifice and the incense rising to God. And as, as you once again give everything you have over to God, not so that, but because of all he has done, this is what real worship looks like. It's like on Sunday mornings, worship is great and we lift our hands, but worship is also when we go through our life and we're honoring God in everything we do. Well, how do we do this? We don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world, but we let God transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What's amazing is the more we begin to read God's word, the more we begin to realize that God's word, everything written in here is for our benefit. It's to help us to lead a life that is free from sin and free from addiction and all these different things. So isn't it amazing that God says, I want you to follow me and I want you to follow my word, which, by the way, is the very best way to live. And so what's amazing, though, is how easy it is for us to forget why we serve God the way we do. Because, we, and I don't know why it is, but it's like so much so we forget that we live for God because he loves us, not so that he will love us. Jesus said it like this. He said, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I've given you the example by obeying my father's commands and have remained in his love. It's amazing how we sometimes we we think that if I act the right the right way, God will love me, or I'll impress my friends and my neighbors. Rather than to realize that the reason why I serve God and I follow His word is because He loves me, and because He wants me to stay free in everything I do. It reminds me of this story of a, a friend of mine. He was telling me about how uh, his mom, when he was when he was growing up, he was. He had two brothers, and his mom was working like three jobs just to kind of keep a roof over their head and, and all this. And he, he could tell that they were getting further and further behind, and he wanted to kind of help his mom. And so uh, one day, he was on a street corner trying to figure out how to get in some, uh, some other money and different things. And his mom came around the corner, and he said, immediately I knew I was in trouble. So she just had that look that was like, you, you better hope that I, I get tired before I get to you, you know? And so he said that he, he went up and at this point, he's like six, three. And he's like, he, she comes up, she grabs him by the ear and pulls him all the way back to their house. And he said, it felt like it was three miles all the way back there. And he's like, I knew my ear was going to fall off. And he said, I get home. She turns me loose and she's like, son, what are you doing? And she, he was like, Mom, I see how hard you're working, and I just, I just want to help. I just want to help. And, and she said, Okay, well, if you see how hard I'm working, I'm working so that you don't have to be a part of that life. So instead, if you want to honor me, stay free. Don't get involved with the gangs. Don't get involved with the stuff. But instead, stay free. That's the best way to honor me. And he was like, Deal. I can do that. Not have to do those things. And I think about that so much when I think about when Jesus says, hey, listen, I am going to come to this earth. I'm going to be on this rescue mission. I am going to die a brutal death. I'm going to rise again. You be the Lord of my life. And in order to pay me back, in order to show me your affection, stay free. Don't, don't fall back into the bondage and the darkness of where you used to be. Really? Bet. I can do that. But the problem is is that, that we have to realize that we live according to God's word, not so that he will love us, but because he loves us. It's because of the great love of God that we live according to his word because his word is life and God's word says you will know the truth and it's the truth that sets us free. And it's because of God's goodness that I have something that I can bring to God in worship. Well, here's the question. What do you bring to a king who has everything? What do you bring... When just a few months before he was born, but right before that, he was he was standing in the the courts of heaven with the angels singing with with all the majesty and all the glory and all of this. What do you give a king like that? Well, the first thing I can bring to him in worship is I can bring to him my allegiance and say, Jesus, that you would save me, that you would love me the way you do. Well then I give you my heart and I give you my life. I give you everything that I have. What What do you give a king who has everything? God, not only am I gonna give you my, my heart and I'm gonna give you my allegiance, but man, I'm gonna walk as close to you as I can. I'm gonna give you my life. I'm gonna give you my addictions. I'm gonna give you my schedules. I'm gonna give you everything in my life because you are worthy of it all. It's like we've been singing about. And then what do you give a king who has everything? Well, because of the goodness of Jesus, because of the goodness of God, I have something I can bring in worship. And that is that it's, the last one is myrrh. And that is we worship his brokenness by trusting him with mine. I worship his brokenness by trusting him with mine. And i also be honest with you. Once again, when I was a kid, I've heard this story a lot. I thought that instead of being gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I thought it was gold, frankenstein, and Bill Murray. <laughs> that, that, was, that was my jam for a real long time. And that's how I actually ha- memorized them for a long time. But actually, myrrh, and this is, think about how... Uh, just, just crazy this would have been without realizing is that what we know about myrrh is myrrh actually represented burial. It would do a few different things, but the main reason why they used myrrh at the time was extremely expensive to buy. And they used it to anoint a dead body just before burial. And the reason why is because it had a very strong aroma and because of the body being dead and starting the process of decay, and what it would do is it would fill the whole room, mask the scent of death, and remind, and the other thing they would say is it would remind all the mourners of the sweet goodness of God's grace that they would see them again in eternity. It's amazing. But think about this. They brought a baby, his death ointment. That's a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> You're bringing a baby, his, the reminder that he's going to die. Until you realize that's exactly why Jesus came. You realize that from the moment of Jesus' birth, he had, a, he had death appointment over his head. That he came on the scene in order to pay the price for all of our sin. And so from the moment of his birth, he was destined to die. It's amazing to realize that he never once swerved and said, I'm out. I'm going to go for it living under that reality the entire time. And what is amazing about that is he stepped into it knowing what was going to happen. The Bible says this in the book of Hebrews. It says, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours, this one, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. So what does that mean? Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help when we need it the most. You know what I love about Jesus, maybe the most, is that he understands. The Bible says that he was actually faced all the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. That means whatever you're going through right now, Jesus understands. Now, no, he, he didn't raise your kids. He's not married to your spouse. He doesn't have your job. But at the end of the day, we all have the same basic issues, right? We all deal with rejection, with loss, with misunderstandings, all these different things. The Bible said that in every way he understands. And see, so you know what is amazing about that is the Bible says we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because the king sitting on the throne is merciful because he gets it. And so when you you come to God and go, God, you know, I don't know if you understand this because you're God and I'm not, but I'm having this trouble. Jesus is like, oh, no, no, no. I, I get that one. I get that one. I remember when Judas told me he was my friend, but then he turned his back on me for just 30 pieces of silver. Oh, I remember when Peter told me he was never going to deny me. And then when I needed him the most, he actually told everybody he had no idea who I was. I remember when my mom and my brothers and my sisters told everybody, don't listen to me, he's just crazy. I know how that feels. I, I know how it feels that I'm just, I'm just telling the truth and I'm telling about this and almost everybody, including my disciples, almost completely leave me. I know what it's like for folks to just leave me. I mean, like, like I went to pray and they went across the boat. I had to walk on the water to catch up with them jokers, all right? I know what it feels like. So whatever you're going through, he understands. So, what does the king say when he could have said, Hey, listen, I've been there too, get over, it's not that bad. Instead, you know what he says? He says, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He understands. You know what that means to me? Is that helps me realize that Jesus doesn't delegate my pain. He doesn't say, well, hey, you go see somebody else about that. I got a kingdom to build. Instead, he says, come sit with me because I get it and I understand. And there's something about that understanding that has spoken to my heart so many times. Because I read a book one time that says nobody truly knows the brokenness of another because no one's ever truly walked in your shoes except Jesus. I've seen this recently when it comes to you know I've talked to some about my mom passing away and and uh, I've been so thankful for so many of you who have who have uh, sent your cards and and just the different things I just I'm overwhelmed by by everything and but what I've noticed is I've noticed that some people who have not experienced the death of a close loved one they know that and they go look I don't know what you need I don't know how to help you I just I'm here if you need me and I, and I and I receive that and I get that and I, and I'm so thankful for that but there's also something that I've noticed and that is. When somebody else has been through something like that, they don't have to say a word. They just look at you, and you can see the same grief in the back of their eyes that you're experiencing, and there's a connection there, and they just say, how are you doing? And I know what that means. That means, how are you doing with the loss? How are you doing with your family? How are you doing figuring out what to do with everything that's left over? How are you keeping on, what are you doing? When they say, how are you? They mean a whole bunch of stuff when they just say a few words. And some of you who've been through that, you know exactly what that feels like. And you know what that means so much to me is when Jesus says, come to me, he's not saying, I don't really know what you need, so come on to me and we'll figure it out somewhere in the process. You know what he's saying? He says, come to me when you feel like it. Come to me when you don't feel like it. Come to me when you're high. Come to me when you're low. Come to me when you think you got it figured out. Come to me when you're really close to giving up because I know how all of that feels. And I'm gonna put all that into one phrase. Come, and I And the answer you are looking for. What do you bring a king who has everything? You bring to him your allegiance. God, I lay my life at your feet because you are worthy of lordship in my life. What do you bring a king who has everything? I'm so thankful that because of the goodness of God, I have something I can bring to worship him and I can bring to him my life and say, Jesus, I don't get to lose in this deal because you're asking me to live free and living free is how I honor you. I'm good. I, I got that. So I'm going I'm to live as free as I possibly can, obeying and honoring your word. And through that, I'm going to worship you. Yes. And then how do I, what do I give a king who has everything? I'm going to bring him even my secrets. Even that private battle that nobody else knows about, I'm going to bring that to him too. Not because I have to, but because I know that only he knows what to do with it because he looks at all of my broken pieces and he doesn't delegate my pain to somebody else. Instead, he says, come, I've been waiting for you. So what do you need to bring the king today? I don't know, I don't know. What I will tell you is that when we hear the good news, that Jesus came on a rescue mission. He split time in half. He entered into time and space. He came in the form of a baby, fully God and fully man at the same time just blowing all of our minds and expectations and he stepped into this and he did every bit of it for you and for me so that he could be the perfect sacrifice to wash away all of our sins. Can I ask you, don't don't be like Herod the hater and reject what God is wanting to give you because I want to tell you something. If that's you and you're in here and you reject the gospel today, can I tell you, he's never going to stop. He's never gonna stop pursuing you. He's never gonna stop reaching out for you. He's never gonna stop saying, I still love you. I still have a plan for your life. I'm never gonna give up on you. He's gonna chase you down. And you're gonna to have to tell him no again and again because that's how much he loves you. If you're in here and you hear the gospel and you hear that, that Jesus came on this rescue mission to, work, to, to, to move in your life and to, to have a relationship with you, don't be indifferent. At least make a decision. Make a decision to receive him or reject him, but whatever you do, don't stay in the middle because that's where everybody dies. That's where the eh, that's, that's, that's no good place to be. But can I challenge you, can I encourage you that when you hear the good news that Jesus came, not only to wash away your sin, but also to heal you of all your pain and all of you the darkness and all the things, well, I encourage you to, to worship him, to come, in, come to his feet. And you go, well, what do I give a king who has everything? I give him first my allegiance. In just a moment, when the band leaves us in that final worship song, do you need to do business with Jesus? Do you need to lay your life down at his feet? Maybe, maybe you gave your heart to Christ, but at some point you got him up off of the throne of your life, and you went and you sat down, and you just let him kind of be an advisor, but he wasn't the, he wasn't the one sitting on the throne. Maybe it's time for you today to get up off the throne of your life and put him back where he belongs and say, Jesus, I want to come back to you. I want to I do my first works over again. I want to receive you fresh and new. Maybe that's what you need to do today. You need to worship him by giving him your allegiance. Or maybe, maybe you're like the second one. And what do, I, what do I bring a king that has everything? I want to bring to him my life. I want to bring to him this overwhelmed feeling of anxiety that I have, that I can't ever seem to get it right. I, I can't ever get to, sing, to get my schedule done. I can't, I can't ever do all these different things. The, the different issues I do, I'm going to bring it all to the king. I'm gonna bring it all to him and I'm gonna let him be the Lord of my life and then what do you do? I'm gonna bring him my secrets. I'm gonna bring to him my broken places. I'm gonna bring to him that battle that nobody else knows about. Why? Because he alone understands and instead of saying be gone, instead he says I've been waiting for you and if that's you, today's your day. Today's your day to no longer be by yourself in that place. And I want to give you a scripture as we get ready to pray. As I was praying for us this week, I couldn't get this scripture off my mind. And I don't know where maybe some of us are at right now and what's going on in our life. But I want to give this to you. God's word says this. It says, now we have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. For we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. This is why we never give up. We never give up. Because even in the middle of all of that pain and difficulty and darkness and struggle and feeling alone and feeling rejected and feeling like nobody else cares and nobody else is looking out for me and and everybody just treats me like a, a product to be consumed and nobody cares. You know why I never give up? Because Jesus is also there. And this is the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse says, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small, and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Can I tell you, I firmly believe that everybody in this room is most likely in one of three categories. You're either just coming out of a storm, you're either right in the middle of a storm, or you're heading right on into one. (laughs) It's just the way life works. Ups and downs, in and out. And if you're not careful, God's faithfulness to all of us can always be held hostage to the next answer He gives. God, if you get me out of this, then you're faithful. And if we're not careful, we forget about the hundred times He's already been faithful. And I don't know where you're at in your life right now, but I want to ask you this question What do you need to bring? to the Lord today. The good news is, Jesus understands that at the right time, in this moment, Jesus is here. I don't know why you're here, but it's not an accident. To hear the good news of the gospel one more time, just like with the wise men who come and they announce the good news of Jesus, you have one of three responses. One could be, I'm good. I got my life rolling the way I like it. Everything's fine. I got me. I'm done. Can I beg you to not turn your heart away from Jesus? But if you do, he will never stop seeking after you. He loves you too much. Maybe you're in here and you would be indifferent. I've heard it all before, Pastor. I've heard it all before and, you know, I've kind of done that. I've kind of went my own way and, you know, I've kind of got things the way I like it now. So you do you. I'm going to go enjoy my fall break. I hope you have a great fall break. But don't turn away from Jesus. The good news is, he understands. Why not give Jesus a try with that situation that's going on right now? The third one is that I bring to him my worship. Jesus, you are more than worthy of everything I could give. But then how? What do I bring a king who has everything? What do I I bring the king of all days? The ancient one the glorious king of all strength and all power who sits on the circle of the earth and nothing can stand in his presence. What do I bring a king like that? I can worship him by bringing him my allegiance. I'm saying, God, I'm so sorry. I've made a mess of my life. But if you'll have me, take all of me. I'm gonna get myself out of the throne of my heart. And I'm gonna put you right there and I'm never gonna move you. I don't want you just to be my savior, but I declare you as my Lord, and today can be your day. And maybe in just a moment, you need to come up front, and kneel down before the Lord, and you just have a conversation and do business with Jesus. Today is your spiritual birthday. Maybe you're in here and you've made a commitment to Jesus. What do I bring a king who has everything? I bring to him my life. And I say, Jesus, you've got my heart, now have my days. I bring to you my schedules. I bring to you everything. I'm just going to lay my life at your feet. God, take all of me. What do I bring a king who has everything? I bring to him my broken pieces. Because we don't serve a lofty king who doesn't understand, but yet he entered into our life and he suffered the way that we did yet without sin. So that now that he sits on the throne of glory, he looks and he says, I get it. I understand. I know what it is to have all of that happen. So I'm not mad at you, but I'm going to say it like this. Come to me only someone who was broken would understand the healing in those words. And so he doesn't make you any promises other than you come to me and I'll make everything new. What do you need to bring to Jesus today? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you God that you see us and that you understand. Lord, I know that in this moment, Lord, there's any number of things that's going on in this room. There's there's others, God, that Maybe they're thinking about rejecting you. Surely he doesn't understand what I'm going through. Maybe it was because of some unmet expectations in the past. Holy Spirit, I just give you permission to shower us with your love and to remind us that through every dark place, we were never alone. You were there with us. That's how we made it. It's because of your goodness. Lord, for those who maybe are feeling indifferent, Lord, I pray that you will rain your mercy on us and we will run after you. And God, as we get ready to worship you, I pray for those who are gonna bring to you their allegiance. They're gonna lay their lives down and they're gonna pick up your lordship in their life. Lord, that this will be a day they'll never forget. This is the day they walk from darkness to light. This is the day when everything changed. For those, God, are who gonna lay down their life They've laid down their heart. Now they're gonna lay down their life and they're gonna follow you. They're gonna make that commitment today. I pray that you will add your mercy and your grace and for everyone, Lord, who is gonna trust you at their broken places. We know, God, that you know and that you see and that you understand. And as I feel your presence right now in this moment, I pray, Holy Spirit, you will wash over everybody in this place and we'll experience your goodness as we run to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me all over the house this morning? The band is going to lead us in one more worship song, and I want to ask you this question. What do you need to bring to the Lord today? If you'd like to come just up here just to pray, just to lay something down before the Lord, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like someone to pray with you, sometimes you just want someone to pray with you. We're going to have a prayer team in the back. Autumn and I will be up front. What do you need to bring to the Lord today?